You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast. We're here to help you rob the pension bank. It's your host, coming to you from Colorado, Patrick Rice. Welcome back to this episode of the Blue Family Tree. Just like she said, our goal here is to keep you alive well into retirement. Take that pension bank for every last cent you can, and in order to do so, we give you a few things to think about that will help keep you alive and get you home safe at the end of every shift. In just about every contact that we have with a suspect, there comes a critical point. There comes a point when either things are going to go really, really well or really, really badly. So today we're going to talk about that particular point in our suspect contacts. You could probably transfer this over to any contact because we don't always know if we're dealing with a suspect or a victim or a witness or how people's roles in a contact can change. But uh, for the purpose of keeping things simple, we'll just consider this a suspect contact and that critical moment when things can go uh, either really well for you or really against you and recognizing that you're about to be approaching one of those critical moments and how you should be approaching that, where your mindset should be, where your physical body should be, and just making sure that you're aware of those moments in a contact. Let's talk about a hands-on arrest. The second that you're going to put your hands on somebody, you're going to completely change that contact. So even if things have been going really well up to this point, you're standing on the side of the road, maybe talking to a suspect in a criminal mischief or something, a vandalism, something like that, uh, something fairly basic, and now it's time to go into custody. So you're going to put your hands on this person, and people change. The second you put your hands on somebody is one of those critical moments when the cooperation could be out the door. So regardless of the level of cooperation you've had up to this point, you need to be aware that this is one of those critical moments. And so I, what I'm looking for today, family, is at the end of this discussion, the next time you go out and you go hands-on with somebody who's been a totally compliant, verbally compliant, walking with you, doing whatever you've asked them to do, the second you go hands-on with them, you need to remember this is changing the contact. And just consider, I want you to think to yourself in your mind, critical moment. This is a critical moment when things change. Maybe most of the time they don't, but sometimes they do. And those times that they do, well, they're critical. So when you're going to hands-on with somebody, just be aware that the way that they were behaving could vastly change at a moment's notice and things to look for. What kind of cues are we looking for when we do go hands-on? If they've been cooperating at this point and they've been friendly, have they given us any cues to indicate up to this point, even in their level of cooperation, that things might be different if we were to go hands-on? The eyes tell us a tremendous amount. Watch those eyes, make sure if they're darting around, if they're looking for avenues of escape, what are they doing? And then when we get into making the arrest, do they hang their head and put their hands behind their back? Or is their head up and they're looking around? Things to think about, little minor cues that are going to tell you what the, how this critical moment is going to go. And, of course, we all know that the higher the hands go on the body, the worse you have it. So if somebody's anxiety is just climbing and climbing and climbing and their feet are moving and they can't stop their feet moving and they're flexing their legs, maybe they're looking to fight, maybe they're looking to flee, uh, but they're getting rid of stress by moving those large muscle movement, those large muscle groups. And the higher their hands get on their body is they start scratching their wrists, they scratch their elbow, they grab, they kind of give themselves a hug. 
And then if you're going to go hands-on and you tell them that they're under arrest and they put their hand on the back of their neck or, or up over their head through their hair, you might have a problem coming. And it's time to be aware of those little cues that are going to tell you how this critical moment is going to go. Somebody puts their hand on top of their head and takes a deep breath. I step back and I start giving demands. Uh, it's not time to be going hands-on and, and pussyfooting around with them. When you see that particular uh, nonverbal cue, things are about to get bad unless you start laying down some direction and take control of that situation right away. Let's talk about opening a car door to remove a subject. This is happening more and more in the last couple of years since, in general, the community's respect for law enforcement is declining we're finding people don't want to listen to us. They don't really think we have any authority. Maybe they don't want to give us an ID on a traffic stop or they're playing the sovereign citizen role. If you haven't ever dealt with a sovereign, I'm sure you've had training or heard about it from other people who have. And so we're hearing and seeing this a lot more where we're having to remove people from a vehicle. The biggest thing during this critical moment is be sure about what you're doing. Know what your role here is. You've made thousands of traffic stops unless you're brand new. Uh, and if you're brand new, you just need to know. Know what your role is. You have them legally detained for a lawful reason. Don't let their fake lawyer talk change your mind or make you second guess who you are and what you're doing and why you're there. They're detained, which means you can remove them from that car and identify them. Don't let them fool you or make you second guess that. So when you tell them to get out of that car and they refuse, and you're probably going to call for some more units. Maybe you want to lay a spike strip down in front of their wheels so that they don't drive away. Uh, that's a good idea. Just be aware of when you're getting in front of their vehicle what, what they're doing and where they're at. Now there's other suspect, or I'm sorry, other uh, police there. Maybe three of you, hopefully. How are you going to move, remove this person from the vehicle? What's, what's this going to look like? Have you thought about this? Have you made this plan? Because you don't want to have to make this decision on the fly, just like you don't want to have to convince yourself that, yeah, you are, in fact, on proper legal ground here. You don't need to convince yourself of that at the time. That's just another step you can remove. And if you already have an idea how you're going to remove somebody from a vehicle, that's pretty good, too. The key to that is having a few different options or kind of a loose plan ahead of time so that as you're presented with different styles of vehicles, maybe windows up, windows down, doors locked, doors unlocked, you have some different options available to you because you're never going to be able to say, okay, this is exactly how we're going to do it when you come across a different car. Maybe you got to take them out the passenger side because it's not safe on the driver's side. There's lots and lots of variables. So I'm not telling you to have an exact plan that you're going to follow just like a recipe for making a cake, but have a general idea of what you might do or a few different options of how you might do it so that you don't have to invent the wheel while you're standing there. So are you going to open that door? Uh, this person's refused to get out. You're going to open that door and there's going to be three of you. Let's say it's a driver's side uh, exit. There's going to be three of you standing there. Where's everybody's escape route? Have we closed the lane of travel? Just in case things go south, when you open that door, we're talking about a very critical moment. How is this subject going to respond? He's already been non-compliant. He's already demonstrated a lack of respect for you and your position. And now you're going to open your door and, and invade his space. Do we have a lane of travel blocked off where we can safely fall or retreat back to? 
uh, and we'll come, we'll come back to that. But a safe avenue directly behind you, a little buffer zone, probably a really, really good idea before you open this door. And do you even open the door? Depending on who you're dealing with or what your agency's policies are, maybe you can do flashbangs over the top of the car and then bring a raid group up to the car. But I'm guessing for somebody who's just failing to identify themselves, give their driver's license, we're probably not going quite to that extent. So this gentleman's just failing to give his ID, failing to identify himself on a speeding violation. You go to open that door with three of you standing there, and now you've got a lane closed, so you're safe. Now let's come back to that retreat. Something goes horribly wrong. Maybe a gun comes out on his part uh, when you open that door. Where are all three of you retreating to? Think about it. With one officer up there, where are you retreating to? Do you have that planned? Do you know where you're going? Most of the time, and again, I say most of the time because nothing is ever for certain. There's always factors, right? We've talked about factors a lot. But most of the time where you want to go is to the rear of the suspect's car, or if you can, all the way back to the rear of your car. But you may have to be between the cars uh, by the time that you're delivering rounds back or taking care of business, however that looks. But the safest place for you, generally speaking, when a suspect pulls a gun on a traffic stop is shooting through the rear rear window of the suspect's car. Uh, It provides the best cover because they don't have the same ability to turn around from a seated position inside their vehicle. Retreating out into the lane of travel obviously presents problems because of the lane of travel, but even if you have it closed off, you haven't provided yourself any cover or concealment, and you are straight out from where that barrel is instead of running back where uh, they can't get the barrel positioned on you. So please consider when you're in those critical moments at the door on a traffic stop, where you're going to be retreating to, and it shouldn't be out into the lane of travel, even if that lane of travel is dead at the time, because you're not removing yourself from the location of the threat. Okay, so again, there's three of you here, and you've got probably two standing on the open side of the door, and the one who opened the door standing up by the side view mirror, up by the front wheel. So the one who's up front who opened the door probably has the best view down into that vehicle, the best view of the hands of the suspect or suspects, however many there are, he's probably going to be your eyes and ears. And he needs to be sure and communicate to those other two uh, what is happening if something happens. But those other two need to know. They need to work together like a dance. If something goes down, how are they going to retreat back out of there? Uh, The worst case scenario I could possibly imagine would be the officer in the middle of this three-pack not having anywhere to retreat to because the other two didn't respond quickly enough and him making the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, it'd be, that'd be an awful scenario because uh, it just hadn't been discussed or figured out. So at least those two need to figure out where they're going, how they're going to respond. Um, and that front one needs to think about where he's going to go as well. Is he going to run around the door and towards the back? Is he going to run around the front and towards the, the shoulder? Uh, there is no wrong answer just need to think about what your options look like ahead of time. And maybe you pull a car up in front and park a car there instead of putting tack strips under his tires so that he can't drive off, and then you can have yourself some cover for that lead officer who opened the door. Lots and lots of things to think about, lots of different options, but that's how you should 
have is a lot of options now so that when those opportunities come up, you already have thought about those things instead of trying to think about them on the fly. So opening that car door to remove a subject, very critical moment. They've already been giving you a hard time or you wouldn't be there. So you need to demonstrate a level of control and a command presence that's going to um, work to your favor when you open that door. Oftentimes people like uh, Black Lives Matter uh, people or sovereign citizens will tell you that they're scared of you and that that's why they're behaving the way they're behaving. Use that to your advantage. If they tell you that and you're opening that door, let them be scared of you for that moment because you need them to legitimately be scared of you uh, so that you can control what they're doing. Uh, I know lots of times and I know I'm, I'm hearing my audience right now saying well, they're not really scared of us that's why they keep their hands concealed and reach for guns but at that moment at those critical moments you want them to be scared of you legitimately so that they do leave their hands visual uh present because they know they know that if their hands disappear there could be a problem and so just make sure that that's clear to them at that moment that this is a moment that you should be scared of me so that things in that critical moment can go your way one that's very similar to this is maybe announcing outside of an apartment door. You've arrived on a call, maybe a disturbance at this apartment or house, and you are standing outside the door and you hear the disturbance inside, some people arguing. I'm sure you're going to wait, unless it sounds exigent, you're going to wait for another unit, maybe another unit's already with you. So now there's a couple of you there, and you're going to announce outside this door because you need to do a further investigation. Have you ever considered that that's a critical moment? When you've just arrived, you've just announced your presence, very critical moment in this investigation. You should think about moving after the announcement. Rap, rap, rap on that door, announce your presence, and then move. And usually there's, if there's two of you, maybe you're one on either side of the door. I personally don't like that. I, uh, uh, I like to have one that's looking down either the two side or the four side. I'm assuming most of the agencies out there across the country label the sides the same way we do, one being the front door, two, three, and four going around clockwise. So you have the one, two corner or the one, four corner. I prefer to have my backup officer on one of those two corners or uh, if it's an apartment and there aren't necessarily corners to the apartment, I like to have the backup officer with his back to me uh, as I rap on the door and he is watching the window that's typically right next to the door. So think about that setup. Consider how you want to be. Don't just walk up and stand on either side of the door and rap on the door. Uh, consider also if you're going to rap on the door, um, which way the door opens. If the door opens, they should open out. If the door opens out and it's going to open right towards you, is that where you want to be? Well, look at the makeup of the building and determine if the short wall or long wall as you open that door is on the hinge side or not. That might make a big difference on where you want to stand. Uh, you don't necessarily want to stand behind the hinge side. Uh, because then the door is going to come all the way open and people are going to be coming out before you have any advantage of seeing inside there. Uh, you probably want to be on the doorknob side, but just consider what kind of exposure that gives you when that door comes open. 
So that being said, let's move back to the knock and announce. If you're going to knock and announce, maybe stand on the, uh, consider standing on the hinge side, rap, 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 announce your presence and move to the doorknob side. That way, if there's any decision on the inside of that door to deliver rounds through the door, through the wall, you've moved. Consider also things like peepholes, cameras, ring doorbells, the side window that your cover, that your officer cover officer should be watching. And when you think about windows, look at your own windows on your house. How easy is it to see out and see who's standing out there without anybody being able to see in? So I know we're looking for movement. We're looking for those shades to move, but consider that you're not really concealed well outside of a curtained window. What about walking up, uh, walking up to the street address before you even get there to listen and then knock? What kind of critical moment is that? How exposed are we when we're walking up to an address? Are we looking at that whole neighborhood? What are the neighbors doing? Because the neighbors probably know these people. So as we're walking up and we're, we're, we park two houses down and we walk past two houses and we, we are sizing up the front yard fence and are there any dogs where the windows are, we should be doing all that as we're approaching, right? Well, what are the neighbors doing? Are the neighbors jumping on their cell phones? Are they sending text messages? What's happening there? So consider what kind of intel is being gained against you as you're walking up to the house. I can't really think of a scenario where driving up and parking right in front is the right answer. Maybe it is somewhere along the way, but you're going to have to walk across one or two properties to get to most of these calls. Just consider that just because you parked a couple houses away doesn't mean the call hasn't started yet. The call started as soon as you rolled into that street and the critical moments have begun. So consider the critical moment of how you're walking up on this house. I can't tell you over the last year, how many officers I've seen on Officer Down Memorial page who were just approaching the house on a domestic violence. They hadn't even gotten to the house yet. Uh, it's got to be close to 10 at least. So that is absolutely a very critical moment, and we should be thinking to ourselves, critical moment as we approach. Even if it's a house, especially if it's a house that you've approached time and time again before. Now, if you decide at some point during this contact, you've been, let's go with, let's go with the domestic violence. You just approached the house. You knocked and announced the male came out. You're speaking to him out front. Your other partner's inside speaking to the female. Now let's consider that you're going to verbally advise the subject where you are in the case and what's going on. Hey, it's, it's time to start make, to start wrapping this up. We're going to take you down to the station for further questioning. We're going to take you down to the station for GSR, whatever the next step is, if it involves moving them, this again is going to be a very critical moment. What's going on inside the suspect's mind when you start verbally explaining to them where your case is at? And I hope you are, because I, I think you run into a bigger problem in general when you don't explain things to people. I think it makes our jobs much more dangerous when we just start manhandling people and ordering people and we don't tell them why we're doing what we're doing or what's gonna happen next. There's certainly times when we can be a little more kosher with people and share that information. But when you choose to do that, just think about uh, where is their mind at? Start watching them, paying attention to them, and really you're helping yourself 
by sharing this information because it's not you're not doing it necessarily just to inform them. You're doing it so that they can give you little nonverbal cues about where their mind is at and how this is going to go. So consider those things when you are at that critical moment of sharing information with your suspect. One good practice might be set the suspect down on the curb with his feet underneath of him. Uh, maybe you're going to put him in bracelets and then and tell him, uh, I'm going to put you in bracelets and explain where we're going from here uh, after that or, or whatever. But uh, maybe consider if you've already gotten some nonverbal cues from this person that are troubling, putting them in a position of disadvantage before you explain to them where the case is going. If you haven't gotten those nonverbal cues and you're just going to stand there face-to-face with a, with a subject and tell them where the case is going and it's not going to go somewhere that they're going to be real thrilled about, just be ready and paying attention to those nonverbal cues, the breasts, the major muscle groups, the touching of the face, the touching of the top of the head, and what is going on inside their mind. Kind of like your initial attempt at contact with somebody like a pedestrian on the side of the road. Let's say you see a gentleman on the side of the road walking along, bebopping along, and you decide you want to contact him, and you're just going to do a consent contact. Hey, man. Can I talk to you for a minute? And you jump out of your patrol car and you ask him what's going on. What's his response? Is he cool with it? Does he pretend to be cool with it, but he's not really? Does he keep walking? What What's going on with this guy? What are his hands doing? Just immediately watch where his anxiety goes. Because these cues are going to come to you in the first 5 to 10 seconds. After that, he'll have a chance to calm down and he'll have a chance to start making his plan and figuring out why you're talking to him. And... Things could then escalate or de-escalate from there. But watch those very initial responses. The critical moment in a consensual contact on the side of the road is that very first moment when you say, Hey, man, can I chat with you for a minute? That's when things are going to go wrong or right for you. Kind of the same on your approach on a traffic stop. Same thing, only here it's not a consensual contact, but that's a critical moment. You just popped out of your car. You start walking up there. That's a very critical moment because you have zero information about this person. Or do you? Well, you've had a chance to watch the, the traffic violation. Maybe you've read some bumper stickers. Uh, can't judge a book by its cover, but you can have some idea. Maybe you've seen things hanging in the mirror. There should be some things that tell you kind of the, the background or the theory or the life of this person. And then their behavior is once the traffic starts. Stop begins. What are they doing? Are they ducking and diving in the car? Are they looking for those furtive movements? What are their passengers doing? What kind of clothes are they wearing? Are they wearing gang colors? All things to think about before you even pop out of your car. And sometimes we miss them. Sometimes we miss those little cues consciously, but unconsciously we see them. And that's called the hair on the back of your neck, family. We've all felt it before, and we need to learn to trust it. We cannot blow that feeling off. It might even make you stop and wait for another unit before you even go up on your first contact. But don't ignore the hair on the back of your neck before you approach a vehicle. It's almost always going to be accurate. So that's kind of the things I wanted to touch on today for just a few minutes before we brought in our guest speaker for today. I just want to touch on those critical moments so that we're thinking about At those critical moments, just say the words in your head. This is a critical moment. And reset yourself so that whatever rapport you've built 
before that moment is not disrupting your ability to see what's about to happen. I, of course, talking particularly about what we're talking about at the beginning before with you've already contacted this person, you're about to make an arrest or whatever the case is, you're going to pull them out of the car. Don't let any past experience with them in the last few minutes dictate that this is is or is not a critical moment. At any of those stages, and think of them for yourself as you go throughout your workday, where are the critical moments? And what can I do to recognize them and remind myself this is a critical moment that's about to happen and up my officer's safety for that moment. You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast. We're joined now by a good friend of mine, Joe DiParisi. Joe is currently a corporal with the New Providence Police in New Jersey. He started with New Providence in 2003 as an auxiliary officer, worked his way through various parts of the agency, and became a full-time certified officer with New Providence in 2006. He has held assignments on the emergency response team, the auto theft task force, the traffic unit, and even in community outreach programs like DARE and MAD. Joe has had a decorated career with numerous accommodations, including life-saving awards and even a Medal of Valor. Aside from his assignments at New Providence, Joe is an academy instructor, and similar to the mission of the Blue Family Tree, he's in another program called Below 100. At the end of the day, after he has policed his community, bridged gaps with his public, and taught future Leos, Joe is one of the more prominent voices in an amazing 501c3 for law enforcement called SUPBRO. Everybody loves the SUPBRO crew at events like Police Week and Leo Weekend, and their merchandise is one of a kind. Joe? Welcome to the show, bro. Sup, <laughs> bro. Sup, bro. Hey, tell me about, uh, first of all, let's start off and talk about where we're going to be here in the fall come October. The Blue Family Tree and Sup, bro, along with a few other organizations, are going to end up in Miami. Uh, can you tell me about that and what Sup, bro's uh, role will be there and, and what people can look for? Absolutely. Um, thank you for having me. A very nice introduction. Thank you for... Yeah, you bet. You, you, you earned it. Thank you for embellishing me a lot. Um, we're going to be in Miami uh, October 8th weekend. We are going to host a happy hour that Friday with National Police Wives Association to basically welcome everybody. It's turning into a... a LEO Weekend is a great organization from NYPD. They host families of fallen officers. We, you know, I think everybody knows that. We are just trying to get ourselves in there a little bit to help out. We're going to host this happy hour with National Police Wives Association just to say hi to everybody, kind of be an MC, maybe get a drink for everybody and some appetizers. I thought it was going to be about 50 people. It's going to be three to 600 apparently. That's so amazing. That'll be awesome. We need to fundraise is where I'm getting getting. Yeah. At. So um, how do we do that? We need to get our name out there. Supro.org is our website. We have t-shirts, we have koozies, we have challenge coins. As I think you agree with, they're pretty awesome. Just the fact that nobody knows about us is the problem. We only have a couple thousand followers on our social media, Instagram and Facebook at Supro Family. And just like you, we're just trying to get our name out there. Once people hear about us, they love it. They love the mission. They love our subbro name. They love the thin blue line flag. We've helped out firefighters and EMTs too. That's kind of what we're expanding to all first responders. Yeah, the so, problem is you're just kind of stuck up there in the top, the top right right now, right? I mean, you 
you're up in the Jersey area and it's hard to get out from there. Correct. I mean, we, we've done a lot of local things for Jersey guys and girls over the past two years, basically. And we've done stuff for people out of state, but you know, once we get an order or two off our website from them, that's pretty much the last we hear of people. You know? Yeah. Not- so, so, so tell me how Supro came about. It was kind of an accident. I understand. That's correct. We, I rode my bicycle to DC a few years ago. There's unity tour that everybody knows about, and there's law enforcement United. It's basically a smaller unity tour. So I rode with law enforcement United. They're both the same great missions, everything like that from Jersey to DC. So I, I wanted to do my whole career. Uh, I'm about seven years from retirement. So I did it a few years ago uh, when I was in decent shape. I didn't really. That's what a pension gets you folks retiring at 30. That's what a pension now, gets you. Re- retiring at 43 for me. <laughs> but, but I started at 18. Anyway, uh, I rode my bike to DC. It was, you know, it was a lot of fun because when you're riding, you're next to some random guy or girl that's a cop or former cop or, or related to a cop, and you just talk. And that talk is what gets you through the day, 80-something miles a day for a few days. It was It was tough. So... As Supro came from, as we went through intersections, there's an intersection with a motorcycle cop or, you know, a, a patrol guy that's that's working in that town in Delaware or Maryland or Jersey, South Jersey. And, and you know, they're stopping traffic. And as we go by, it's, hey, it's up, bro. And they'd be like, yeah, it's up, bro. You know, and as, as the day went on and we just were tired and whatever else, we just start yelling, sup, bro. And like the hundred people behind us would start yelling, sup, bro to all the people at the intersection, whether it was a guy or a girl, it was just, it was just sup, bro. And um, we thought after police week, actually another part of it, we went to um, brotherhood of the fallen. They have a, they have an organization where they send cops with their organization. They pay them to go to line of duty death funerals all over the country. So brotherhood of the fallen Chicago, we met in DC They had a booth. They were selling shirts and things like that. And I told them they were like hanging out, having a good time. And I said, if I, if I sell some t-shirt, if I sell one t-shirt for you, will you give me one of your beers? They had beers behind their, behind their tent. And they said, yep, absolutely. I stood there for an hour. I made like 25 sales for them. I would rope the people in. I'd tell them about the mission really quick. And I'd say, please go buy something to help them out. And we had so many sales in that like hour it was me yeah. and another guy and it was fun. It was so easy. Cause it was me, a cop talking to other cops and it was just, it, you know, we're all on the same page and they were all about it. And then, you know, we were just hung out there and I was like, we could do this, but before we could do this, we said, you know what, let's get t-shirts that say sup bro. That's pretty funny. Let's get a little thin blue line, say sup bro, get some t-shirts, which yeah. turned into, you know what, let's sell some t-shirts and raise some money and we'll give it to a phone officer's family. Um, so then the next year during uh, DC police week, we decided to get a booth from our PBA, our, our union. And we raised five grand before we went. Local businesses did fundraisers for us. Uh, there was a nail salon that actually came in on a Sunday. All their, all their workers came in for free and did manicures, pedicures, everything anybody wanted. Every dime they brought in, they gave to our union to That's to, great. to go to DC. So is one of them related somehow to a police officer? Or are they just good, loyal uh, ab- police supporters? 
Absolutely not. They right, were, that makes I, it even better. I emailed a, a bunch of businesses. They all gave money, and this business says we want to do more. We will we will do a whole day for you, and and they did. And we went to DC. You know, we went to DC, and uh, we raised another five grand um, selling Supro T-shirts and koozies, basically. And um, it was a good time. We had fun. We 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 socialized with every single person there. I think you know that you were next to us. Well, and, on that note, I would say you you say it was easy because you're a cop talking to cops, and and I get I get the scent the uh, um, sentiment of what you're trying to say, but it was not easy for me, and I was very grateful to meet you and the other Supro guys. Uh, we're talking family about uh, Police Week 2019, the last Police Week, as a matter of fact, uh, to date. And uh, Joe was standing out in the middle of the aisle. He had no problem making friends. Uh, definitely an extrovert. He, he did a great job pulling people in and selling T-shirts and, co- and koozies. And they had a couple other neat things, some wooden flags and things like that, uh, some specialty items that they were selling. But, uh, yeah, no, Joe Joe was a great asset to the Blue Family Tree and Leah Weekend at uh, Police Week 19. And that's really where we, where we met and where we started. Right, exactly. So I stood in the middle. I would grab people initially. I would send them to, like, the second salesperson to finish the sale, but exactly. We had thin blue line flags and we had that all donated from cops that do it in the side and things like that. So, you know, it was, it was so great. Like we were raffling stuff off and we were just having a good time, which is why it was so good. And it felt good because it was just, we felt good doing it and they felt good helping us out. So we made another five grand. So we, we came back with 10 grand and we gave, five grand to melvin santiago's mom he's a jersey city new jersey police officer he died in the line of duty um i think it's six years ago now he which actually he went to the academy of teacher in union county mm-hmm. um so we gave it to his mom and she has a foundation so she wanted the money to the foundation for melvin's foundation which jersey city they're like 900 and something cops and i'm yeah. I'm, I'm from a department of 26 right so they they invited us there and they had the mayor the chief there and they actually treated us really really well they were great they went all out for us and then we gave the other five grant to the new jersey state police frecky williams i think it was 2014 he died in a car crash on duty we gave it to his widow she couldn't make it but the state police had a fundraiser and we went to the fundraiser and and presented the check to the state police and they were very accommodating they were they were they were great so from from our union we went from giving from our union to starting this nonprofit and learning how to be a 501c3 and a couple guys from the department just just getting together and wanting to do more you know one thing that's great that i'm sure you've experienced uh through the process of growing up sup bro was or is that um it's the giving you you you, you stop and think about, oh, here's an organization that's giving money to a, a mother of a fallen officer or a family of a fallen officer. And you think how nice for that family or how nice for that mother, but how nice for you that the opportunity to be able to bring the community together, bring together law enforcement, gather a gift and then present it. There is no better feeling in the world. And I, that's one thing that I wish as, as the uh, founder of the blue family tree that I could really demonstrate to donors, uh, especially donors, but then potential donors, uh, just how good that feels. And I, uh, unfortunately, you and I are really the ones in the position to feel that. 
uh, directly. The, the donors have to feel, feel a little more vicariously, but that's really what it's all about. I think it's more important for us than it is for those families sometimes. Uh, you know what? You couldn't have said it better. I mean, what you're saying is, is so true because we did a, a Christmas shopping spree over December for one family, um, all Tariq uh, Patterson from Bedminster, New Jersey. He died from COVID, line of duty, and he had a wife and three kids. And mm. obviously it's sudden. He's a healthy, normal guy. And like I said before, we're a small organization, but we we partner with the, with a towing company that, that basically funds us. They, they, they buy us t-shirts. They wanted to help us with this Christmas shopping spree. And so we, we, we went with their local PD and their PBA and they brought the wife, the kids, the family to a toy store in Madison, New Jersey, who also said, we want to help you guys out too. Once we told them what we're doing and that feeling, like you said, is unbelievable. I mean, we had like a, a, a local newspaper there, the family, the, the local cops and, and all of that. And just seeing the kids just run around and grab gifts and being able to do that for somebody, you know, from our charity, you know, it's, yeah. you know, we're big, we're, we're big, tough police officers that carry guns. I'm six foot five, 260 pounds, and I'll, I'll, I'll fight somebody to the death, but I'll be the first one to cry at somebody's knees for something like that. You yeah. know, it was, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. There's so much uh, love out there to to give, uh, and it's nice to be the person that can pull all that together for somebody. All right, and, and and people that don't know about you and I and our organizations need to know about us because the amount that they, you know, it's like if you donate it, if you donate to us, come to the event with us and watch what your money does, and you'll be a changed person. Absolutely, and absolutely. You know what? That's that's what the message that needs to go out to people is is donate to us. We'll take care of it. And you know what? Come with us. Yeah. Why 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 can't you? Well, another big part of the Blue Family Tree is this podcast, and the podcast is really designed for law enforcement officers to listen to uh, while they're on the road, or maybe they're on a road trip. Uh, but it's something that they can put on and pause as they get out at a call or whatever, just to keep officer safety in the forefront of their mind. So I always need to tie my guests back to what we've been talking about before you came in. So Joe, before you came in, we were discussing kind of that critical moment, that point, uh, just for a quick reference for you, maybe it's a, the point of arrest where you're going to put your hands on somebody. Uh, this can go one of two ways very, very quickly. And so that's what we we're talking about was recognizing that you're at a critical moment and that this, uh, this could either go really, really well or really, really poorly. And you need to be prepared for the possibility of it going poorly, even though you anticipate or expect that it's going to go really well. Uh, it's kind of that keeping that, that idea in the front, for, forefront of your mind. So uh, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of address that, uh, but I'll let you take the lead where you want to go with that. If you have anything that you can add about that critical moment in the contact. Yeah, critical moment. Um, I, can, I can attest to my corporal at the time. I was a patrolman in 2008. It was the beginning of the shift and I was in early. I was, we start, we worked seven to seven and we were on night shift. I was in at like 5.50 p.m. I got my relief out. I was on the road already before anybody got in. We got a call for a sushi chef at a restaurant. It was a restaurant in downtown our town. Our town is three and a half square miles and I was excuse me, on the opposite side of town when the call came in. And you so say you got 20 officers? Uh, 26. We have 26, 26. officers. 
uh, full-time officers. We have some specials, um, special threes in New Jersey. The retired guys and girls that can work in the schools only. And we have special mm-hmm. twos that are armed and can do court security and things like that and, mm-hmm. and ride, ride patrol with us. But we have 26 full-time guys and girls. So I was in early. We got a call for a sushi chef that was stabbing people. That was our call in 2008. Um, Not unlike, fish, people. People. Unlike, uh, it was, very, you know, we work in a nice um, upper upscale town. Now he's stabbing people in his restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. So he's just run out, of, run out of fish to cut? So he's going after people or what's going on here? Is he just disgruntled? What's going on? So he had some sort of mental breakdown. There was something going on in his head, obviously, and he 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 sliced the manager and he sliced somebody and he started slicing himself. So wow. we get did, the call. Did he, did he kill any of these people? He did not. He did not. So we get the call, and I was on the opposite side of town, and I got there before anybody else. I remember like it was yesterday. It was two thousand eight. I remember like it was yesterday. I had a few years on. I was like twenty three years old. I remember my lights and sirens. I was going to the call and it was like the sea parted when I went down the street. Everybody was already on the side of the road, which is rare. You know, this is rare because everybody's always in your way when you go into a call. Everybody was on the side of the road and I had a straight shot right to the place. I I pulled up to the front and no joke. It was like Godzilla was inside and everybody was running out. That's what you saw. Like all the crowd, everybody's running out screaming and me... And my corporal and the sergeant at the time were running in, obviously, because that's what we do. So they you got know, there about the same time as you? I got there before them, and I was the farthest one, just to note that. <laughs> <laughs> just It's just because everybody moved it's, out of the way. It's one of those times as a rookie, especially, where you're like, oh, why is everybody actually moving? <laughs> Stay in front like- of me. <laughs> I like I like to think I'm a I'm a I'm a good driver. I teach Evoc driving and things like that. So uh, that's part of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but my I remember we, we go in there guns drawn and he's behind the counter, you know, holding a, a giant like eight inch, I think it was an eight inch uh sushi knife, you know, up and he the, the manager, his hand was sliced. It wasn't a big deal, and somebody else was sliced, but the manager had his hand sliced and this guy was yelling all these things in I think it was Chinese. He was yelling in. So we're trying to talk to him, guns drawn. The sergeant was on the SWAT team. He was very calm, trying to talk to the guy. My corporal was right to my right. And we're drawn down and I told my corporal, I said, I'm going to jump the counter, just cover my back. And I'll never forget it. He told me, he's like, just wait a minute, just wait a minute. Glad he told me that because the guy was obviously still holding the knife there, yelling, 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 ready to stab somebody else. So the guy actually, he stabbed himself before we got there. And then he stabbed himself again in the stomach when we were there. So he started passing out. And then I just jumped over the counter and when I jumped over the counter, I grabbed him and he like woke up and started fighting me. So he basically tried to stab me and I, I, I took my fist and I hit his wrist a few times. Yeah. So he dropped the, he dropped the knife and then we struggled a little bit and um, I knocked him out and he, I cuffed him up and everybody else jumped over the counter and, and came and helped me subdue him basically. But um you know, he got subdued, and then in the ambulance, he woke up and started. He, you know, he was not right in his in his mental state, so he was fighting us in the ambulance, fighting us in the hospital. I, I remember getting to the hospital, a trauma center, because he was his guts were hanging out, 
and uh, they were like, okay, he's about to be done fighting you, and they they injected him with something, and he was out. A little liquid cocktail. Yes. So they and, uh, li- liquid restraint, I guess we call it here here locally. So right, and it was awesome because the doctor was like, "You want to come to the surgery room with us? You can come in and hang out." And I was like, Ugh. So I called my sergeant. <laughs> I called my sergeant. She's like, uh, "No, just stay out of the room and just wait." So I had blood all over my uniform, and uh, you know, it was we we actually had to watch him as a prisoner for a month and a half in the hospital, in the hospital for a month and a half. But it was overtime, so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you as a side note, uh, one of the coolest moments in my career was, and our, our ER is very friendly to law enforcement. One of the, one of the coolest moments I've ever had in my entire life was, um, a, a man with a gunshot wound to his heart and he comes into the ER. I'm standing at the foot of his bed. Uh, I, I could touch his feet with my knee with my knees and the ER team is all around him and they get out the bone saw and they cut out oh. his ribs and then yeah. they lift his heart out of his chest and they're massaging his heart. And I thought that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. In my oh. life. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't beat this job. Sometimes the greatest, greatest show on earth. <laughs> well, there's a ton to unpack there and what you just talked about. I think the first and foremost, maybe most important thing is, uh, that pause that the corporal gave you an opportunity right. is this is right. the young bull going down to screw all the cows right. or right. the old bulls going to wait for the cows. Walk to, yep. And I think that's what we witnessed there. So that corporal, that corporal had the, the time on his side. He knew he had time on his side. Was there anybody being threatened at the point that you were there other than him and, and, and maybe you guys from across the counter? He could have went back into the kitchen but basically no not really so the corporal at the time you know was right and telling me to just like wait and relax who's he's a lieutenant now which is is great you know he's he's a great you know mentor but no no basically everybody was out of the immediate area well training and experience you know and now you have that training and experience and you know if you're ever confronted if you and maybe you have been since confronted with similar situations where we can rush in. You know, one thing that drives me nuts and I see it all the time on YouTube videos is cops become world famous for the, you know, the end of vehicle pursuit. And then they just mob the car who right. has ever been taught to do that. Right. Not right. one Academy anywhere has ever taught mob the car, but we you get so you jazzed. Help you can't help it. You can't help it. Right. And th- this is exactly the same thing. There's no need to the, the, the excitement is kind of over. Uh, yeah. It's still exciting. He's holding a sushi knife and, waving it around and threatening people and there's blood everywhere and and you're jazzed you're jazzed i get it but it's time to slow down and that corporal sounds like he brought you right down where you needed to be right exactly exactly well excellent man i i I love the story i always love hearing stories from other cops across the country Uh, i've never had a fight with a with a sushi chef but uh that's one for the books for sure i have have you ever um ripped a seat out of a car to get to somebody no, no, I sure haven't. All right. Well, I can tell you that my adrenaline has before. Not me. But, but <laughs> you physically ripped the seat right out of the I car. Physically ripped the seat. Family, out of the do you car. remember? He said he's six four, two two sixty. Let's six, just six five, six, six five. five. Sorry, six <laughs> five and a half. Right. I was probably two thirty five actually back then. So makes more sense. <laughs> more muscle, a yeah. lot less. <laughs> a little less beer back then. No, mm-hmm. no, just as much. You just, uh, you just processed it better. I held it much better. Yeah. So tell us about the seat. I want to hear this. 
basically it was a Sunday afternoon in town, just a normal day. I had a lady pulled over for an inspection sticker and I'll never forget it. A car went by me with a loud muffler. It was um, Acura Integra, like a little two door with a loud muffler, you know, whatever. And it went by me. And I remember looking at my video and you see my head like snap back to look at it when it went by me. So I cleared up with her. I think obviously I gave her a warning. I I give a honestly, I give a lot of, I give a lot of warnings, like, you know, first time warning, whatever, no big deal. And uh, I went, I, I left the stop and I went to catch up to him and um, I started getting close to him and he took off. So he takes off in this, in this Acura and flooring it down the street. It's like a 45 mile per hour speed limit. So I start calling out that he's taken off. He's getting next to the close to the next town of summit, New Jersey. And, um, we go around a turn. He's still taking off. He's passing cars. I call out the plate and by the time like my sergeant was about to like say hey c- break it off you know the pr- pursuit basically um he hit a little divot in the road at like 80 and he spun out and uh, hit a tree so i slowed down before that i saw the whole thing happening obviously i didn't spin out or anything and right. i pulled my i pulled my car right in front of his like my dash cam we didn't have body cams at the time this was 2008 i think also right so my dash cam was right on his cam, right on his car. So I, I go up to the car. His car's smoking. He, I go up to his door. I open it, and he was fighting me. So you can see me fighting him for a minute. So I get him out and I cuff him up. I bring him back to my car, and he's yelling, "My girl, my girl, my girl!" Uh-oh. So I get, I get him into my patrol car, and there was an EMT that I was, I was a, uh, I was on the EMS when I was sixteen for five years. So there was an EMT from town that drove by and said, Hey, do you need help? I said, yes, come here. So he came right over. He's a cop now, of course. And he, I said, watch this guy. So I put him in the back of my car. He watched him. I went back to the car and his girlfriend who was pregnant at the time got, was in the passenger seat. She got thrown to the back, you know, so I had to get to her and I couldn't move his driver's seat out of the way. So actually somehow in the five seconds trying to get to her, I ripped the seat out. I don't know how off the tracks and I got to her, you know, she was a mess. She was, you know, she was, she was 19, 18. He was eight. He was 18. I think she was 17. Actually. I think she was still in high school. Youngins. Yeah. And she, I got her out and she was alive. And then, you know, she wound up dying. We did CPR on her. She wound up dying. Um, she was early on with the pregnancy. So they only charged him with, the manslaughter of her he did eight years he's been out like two years already uh it's unbelievable so he's you know and you, he's you, out what would you say happened with the pregnancy lost the pregnancy as well yeah they both died but it was too early on for them to charge him with the death of the baby oh gotcha, gotcha. it was a few months in so he was yelling say my girl and obviously i tried to so i think she got thrown from the front seat i don't think she was wearing a seatbelt. the hatchback i think she hit her head on the hatch back glass when she got thrown to the back of the car. So, you know, I tried to help her. Obviously other people tried to help her. It's sickening that he's, that he's out of prison already. Yeah. He's, he was 28 out of prison. Yep. He was, he got 10 years. He served eight and Mm -hmm. he's under 30 and he's, you know, he's, I haven't seen him, but he's, he's out. It was, that's probably the toughest thing that I have to deal with emotionally in my brain forever yeah it sucks but it's it's always there it really is 
Yeah. Always. Yeah. Those are hard calls for sure. Especially when, uh, when the person that, that created it is, you know, absent, they're not their their opportunity or ability to help you is, is none. And you're, right. you're left picking up all the pieces. Right. We were talking before, uh, uh, before we went on the air about, um, the differences between then and now and how, uh, we are ashamed of ourselves for doing some things differently now. Uh, but certainly maybe even that pursuit in 2008 and how you would handle that today are different, but, uh, I'll, I'll tell myself first, uh, family before, before we came on the air, I was talking to Joe about, uh, somebody that I had to gunpoint a few weeks ago, and this is after the new federal legislation, uh, or maybe it's Colorado legislation. I've lost track at this point that talks about, uh, uh, show of force versus use of force. And if you present your firearm, um, even in a show of force, and now you have to do it basically a use of force form and how that sadly, I'm ashamed to say had influenced what I did as a police officer and sitting here as a person who teaches officer safety classes and, and how to reduce factors for line of duty death. And I changed what I did for legislation. Uh, I'm ashamed to say it. And if I did that, uh, what's to stop cops all over the country from doing it? Joe, you had a similar experience. Uh, I did um, two weeks ago. You don't have to tell on yourself if you don't want to. No, I'll, I'll tell on myself. I mean, <laughs> um, I, I teach below 100 to, to new people in our department. Every new person in our department, I teach it to our department. I don't teach it like nationally. I teach it to our department. Mm-hmm. It's similar to what you do, reducing line of duty deaths, being alert to everything but we have legislation in new jersey i think that's colorado what you're talking about we have the same thing in new jersey if i point my firearm at someone i have to do a use of force report which is now a state report which goes to the attorney general's office which we get reported on basically so i i basically second guessed myself recently too i heard on the scanner of a vehicle a red pontiac coming Route 78, it's an interstate. We don't have any interstate that comes through our town, but we're about a quarter mile off of it. And before that exit, there's about five miles, which is a lot for us, of a stretch with no exits. So if you don't hit the exit before it, a lot of people get get lost for the next five miles, come off our exit and find us. I've had people come up to us right off the exit saying, how do I get to Canada? How do I get to California? Like these random people are end up in our town, mm-hmm. which is fine. So the state police in Jersey were looking for a red Pontiac wanted for shots fired. They tried to carjack somebody in Newark and they were coming West towards us. So basically I waited by the exit, nothing, 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 a red Pontiac, very easy to spot temp tag. I went up the hill and I came back down. I saw a red Pontiac with his lights off right off the ramp. Very odd. A guy standing in front of it. Just one guy standing in front of it. I didn't see the other guy at the time. So I turned around real quick because I really didn't have the time to call it out and jump out of the car and get him at gunpoint. So I went back up the hill quick, came back down slowly. I went head on with him and he was back in the car driving with his high beams on. So I went head on with him and I put my takedown lights on. So the takedown lights are my whole light bar, all uh, white. We have in our in our push bars, we have push bars. We have white lights also. So it's like daytime when we put those on. So I put right. that on him. So he stopped, put his hands up right away. I got out and, you know, I drew my weapon, my duty weapon, but I put it on my hip. 
I put it and then I put it behind my back and I started approaching the car, telling him to keep his hands up and talk to me what's going on. He's, he rolled down his window. He started talking to me. He was cooperative. But as I looked back, I should have taken my AR-15 next to me out, right. loaded it out and just, I just pointed it and waited for my backup and just waited. But I'm, I was scared to point my gun at him because I'm going to have to do a report and I'm getting reported to the state. And then my name's, my name's getting released to the public that I did this, you know. And the so biggest we problem with that, the biggest problem with that is, is that it clearly consciously in your mind, your mind is thinking about legislation, not thinking about what's the safest thing for you and for the offender and the general public that's standing around. The first thing in my mind was, God forbid, I report my gun at this guy and he's going to complain about me. I'm going to get an IA and I'm in trouble. I don't right. want to get in trouble. I want to do my job great. I don't want to get in trouble. So none we, of us, none of us can avoid that thought. Unfortunately, as much as I can preach and preach and preach that we shouldn't think that way. I did it. You did it. And, and, you know, it's the best cops in the country. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you and I are the best cops in the country, but the best cops in the country will have that thought. And it's, it's impossible to remove it. So the state police wound up coming and a few other towns to back us up. So the driver, they wound up detaining the victim came. To, so, so the pa- I didn't know this passenger. So when I saw him with his lights off, there was a passenger in a driveway right there that I didn't see in the dark. So he must have taken off on foot. He tossed two guns into the snow and went on side street. So the next town found him on the side street, detained him when they talked to him. He was a convicted murderer. He murdered somebody in 2018 and he was out January of 2021. Hmm. And in February of 2021, he was committing armed carjackings and shooting at people. So much for the myth that New Jersey has tough gun laws. (laughs) So he wound up uh, shooting at. So the victim came to the scene with his BMW. He had bull holes in the car. He wound up IDing both of them. So the state police based, you know, the state police took over. As you know, um, locked up. Hey, they locked up. You don't got to take shots at me just because of your thing, <laughs> right? So, which was fine. They did all the paperwork. So the state police took them both, and they wound up locking them both up. And that was the end of it. But I looked back and I I watched the video and I Monday morning quarterback myself because I was pretty upset with myself of of, sure. of how how scared I was of, of getting in trouble for trying to protect myself. Basically. Well, again, you learn and you learn and you move on. And if anything, maybe your equipment was your saving grace here. So if I'm following the second, the passenger is armed and standing outside of your sight while you're addressing the driver. Uh, It may be all that white light you were able to flood the scene with that actually saved your life that night because he couldn't tell whether you were, if you're standing behind the white light, he couldn't tell if you're at gunpoint or if you're uh, chicken winging it behind your leg or if it's still holstered and he didn't want to mess around with the guy who had all the light and kind of the, he thought the drop on them. True. 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 I, I, I get nothing else to say, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about how people can get your merchandise, uh, what kind of things you got at your website and, uh, and um, we'll go from there and we'll try and wrap this up. But I, I want to hear uh, just a quick plug for SUP bro. Uh, what's your role there anywhere? You, you're, you're, you're not the president. What's, what's your position there? Well, <laughs> I am the president. Of you are Sub- the president. Okay. I am the president. I am also the CE bro. CE um, bro. I like that. CE bro, as we sent into the IRS, um, which I'm sure they loved. Uh, <laughs> you actually put that on the paperwork? 
We actually put it in the paperwork. The chief executive bro. bro. Right. We got this chief chief executive bro. We have a CF bro. We have the VP bro. We have a Della bro, a delegate. I guess why, why, why be an officer? You could be a bro. Right. We have a most valuable bro Um, on our website, subbro.org. You know, we have a couple of t-shirts, long sleeve, short sleeve. Um, We have a koozie that says subbro on the bottom of it. We have a challenge coin with our subbro logo with the thin blue line on the back of it is New Jersey with the thin blue line. We have a gray subbro shirt with the thin blue line. We also have some face masks. We're actually giving them away pretty cheap. And what I tell everybody is if you come on our website and you just email us subbro family, at gmail.com and you want multiple stuff just just email us and we'll just you know do a cheaper price because we can't change like shipping is like five dollars for this five dollars for that and like adds up to shipping together and just email us and we'll just give you a better deal but um nice. yeah it's perfect shirts long sleeve t-shirts short sleeve t-shirts we have some decent t-shirts with our sponsors in the sleeves the faculty's towing in chad new jersey i mean they are amazing and actually um Aeris Electrolux, they sell vacuums and stuff like that, but they actually sell air purifiers. And every air purifier sale, we get $25 of. Oh. What's, cra- what's crazy about their air purifiers is they're the only ones certified by the FDA to kill COVID. So hmm. once people find out about them in Jersey, they've been, they've actually, they're like going in schools right now. They're going to PDs, they're going to all these places. What's, and- what's their website? Uh, Eris Electrolux, they're out of Denville, New Jersey. What's their website? Uh, ErisNewJersey.com, I think. A E R U S, Eris Electrolux, like the vacuums Electrolux. So, family, we'll uh, we'll find that website and we'll put it on right. the Blue Family Trees, uh, uh, businesses that support law enforcement page, uh, on right. the internet portion. So, that if you're looking for something like an air purifier, you can help out Subbro. Right, and and if you if you if you tell them you know you're a police officer, you're first responder, they will cut you you know a cheaper deal. And it's not let me tell you right now, it's not a sixty dollar Walmart air purifier, you know BS type of thing. It's thousands of dollars, and they're legit. We have them in our house, and we never got COVID, and we're vaccinated now, so it's legit. You know, it's it's FDA approved. I mean, how much yeah. more legit? Like they have a giant one that is in restaurants now. It does twenty thousand square foot. Like the one in our house does two thousand square foot. Plus we have one in each bedroom. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, family. Uh, also, I'll let you know, uh, and I think Joe will be good for this uh, in the future as well. A uh, good friend of mine up in Grand Lake, Colorado, had purchased some Sup Bro gear. Uh, supported Sup Bro. And, uh, he's a, he's a firefighter, but his, uh, his wife is a, a dispatcher. And when I worked up that neck of the woods, I knew them very well and I've stayed friends with them ever since. So they support the blue family tree and they saw that we're partnered with sup bro. And my friend really liked the sup bro logo. I think you will too, if you haven't seen it before and you go to their website, it's uh it's super cool. It's just something that makes you smile. And so he had bought some sup bro gear. And then they lost their home in a fire, forest fire. Uh, They lost everything they owned except literally the clothes they were wearing and the car they drove away in. And Joe uh, didn't hesitate. He threw together a package and sent him, uh, sent him out more sup bro gear. Um, Obviously didn't charge him, just replaced what, what he had and what, what was lost. So sup bro is a great organization. I'm really glad that we've become partners with them. 
if you go to Leo Weekend Miami in October and you're wearing Supro merchandise or you have a Supro koozie or something that you bought and you bring it with you to Miami, come find me. I'll be there and I will have a little extra something for you uh, in Miami if you show up in Supro gear. Joe, how's that sound? Sounds great. I'll give them something. If, if they find you, you find me, I'll give them something too. Excellent. Excellent. Gifts all over the place. If you show up in our Caps for Cops t-shirt on uh, the Blue Family Tree webpage uh, or the Caps for Cops webpage, you show up in our partnership t-shirt there again, you'll have another little something extra when you get to Miami. So we're just trying really hard to get you to Miami and get you dressed appropriately for the occasion. So Joe, it was really great to have you on the show today. I appreciate your time, buddy. And we will talk with you again soon. Thank you. All right, some great stories about that critical moment with Joe DiParisi and some updated information on what's going on with SUPRO and where you can find us all this fall. Looking forward to seeing supporters of the Blue Family Tree in October. Until then, make sure you're paying attention to those critical moments, you're identifying them, and making sure that you're paying more attention to that than you are to your state's legislation. Because it's always better to be judged by 12 than carried by 6. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Blue Family Tree Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe for future episodes. You can listen to us on iTunes and Spotify, and of course, thebluefamilytree.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Remember, our primary mission is to provide families of fallen peace officers with a financial gift made up collectively from law enforcement families and close law enforcement supporters from around the country through small monthly donations. Learn how you can contribute to our collective gift at thebluefamilytree.org. And until next time, stay safe. You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast.